Do, 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 do. Yes, sir. Oh, my mic's on and I was humming Christmas songs. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not a bad thing to hear on a mic, is it? Good morning, church. Well, I don't think we've ever given the pastor so much time to preach, and I have one of the shortest messages I've ever preached prepared for you today. So, so this will be an exciting time, I'm sure. The incredible incarnation. Um, we're going to do something a little different today, but I'll tell you that in a minute. How many of you absolutely do love Christmas? Do you really? Woo! I love Christmas. I'm a Christmas guy. I understand a lot of people don't celebrate Christmas because there's pagan traditions attached to it. And I totally respect anybody who has that view, but not me. I love going and getting the tree, cutting it down. It reminds me so much of the sacrifice of Christ when we go get that evergreen tree, that eternal tree, and it gives its life for us and we put it in the family room and we, we decorate that evergreen tree with red ribbons and representing the blood of Christ and we put the gifts around the tree and it represents the gift of salvation. I, it thrills me to know, and yes, I hate all the commercialism. Yes, I hate all the gift buying and the materialism. I do hate it. But we can't let anyone steal the joy of the incredible incarnation, God coming to this world to save you and I. And we celebrate it a special, in a special way at Christmas. And I want that, that feeling to infuse you this morning. One other thing I like, though, I love watching a Christmas carol every Christmas. It's part of our Christmas traditions. If you didn't know, the best Christmas carol story is the one with George C. Scott in it. In case you didn't know, write that down. That's the best one. Proven by me, it is the best one. That's the only one we watch every Christmas. But my favorite scene in the Christmas carol, whether whichever version you watch, do you remember Fezziwig? It was Scrooge's boss when Scrooge was not totally a Scrooge, but early in his life, Fezziwig was the manager of the business. And Fezziwig was a man who loved Christmas and he did Christmas well. And I always said to my wife, before I die one day, I want to have a big Fezziwig party where we all get together and we celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. And you know those dances they did? You know, the, what are they called? Yeah, I don't know either. But they did those 19th century dances. So... Humor me this morning. We're not going to do 19th century dances, but pretend this is my Fezziwig party and greet one another with a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and just find somebody you don't know and say, the incarnation, the incredible, the incarnation was incredible. Get up, pretend you're dancing in the Fezziwig party and greet one another. Come on. Andy, start the Fezziwig music. All right. <laughs> It's Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Christmas. Merry Christmas. Come up here and sing me a song. Oh, all right. <laughs> All right. This is about the time the Fezziwick party would end and everybody would gather in their seats. All righty. We're going to go to the Lord in a word of prayer as we end the festivities. Ha, ha, ha.
All right, thank you for doing that. And really, it's about Jesus Christ, nothing else. And I hope there's joy in your heart for the incredible incarnation. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer before we begin this morning. Father, we do thank you for the gift of salvation. There is nothing more important to us, Lord, that we spend eternity with you in heaven. There is nothing more important that we open that gift of salvation, that we embrace the shed blood of Jesus Christ and let it wash us clean. And Lord, as we celebrate you coming into this world to live and die and be resurrected for us, let us find joy in that fact, if nothing else, that we are celebrating you and you alone, the only one who can reconcile us to a holy God. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. All right, we're gonna do something a little different this morning. As you know, I have a slight reputation for being a little bit animated when I preach. That will not be the case today. We're, oh, oh wow, 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 somebody <laughs> like that, that's good. Yeah. We only have one service where we're doing a sermon and we don't want to conclude Philippians because we don't want to do that in one service and not the other. So Pastor John in his grace said, John, you can do whatever you want this morning. So you may or may not like this. Um, just bear with me because what, what I'm going to do is share with you some musings about the incredible incarnation and how different people experience that. And I'm not going to tell you everything I'm saying is biblical truth, though I'm not going to say anything heretical, but I'm going to muse about how people reacted to the incarnation. I, I'm just going to ask you to sit and listen to some of the things I wrote down. I'm going to read some of the things I wrote down. That's why I'm going to be a little less animated, because I wrote some thoughts down as we think about these things. So bear with me. And if you want to fall asleep as you hear my musings, that's okay. That's okay. No, seriously. That, this means you feel safe with me this morning. But if you close your eyes and reflect on some of the things I'm reflecting on, that's perfectly fine with me. The drool goes a little too far. Let's just stick with the napping. All right. All right. All right. All right. Let's get started this morning. Now, I'm going to do little vignettes. And after each vignette, we'll just pray. We'll just pray briefly. And then we'll go on to the next one. So that's the plan this morning. I call this little vignette the goodbye. It's impossible to talk about the Trinity without saying something that seems insufficient to describe his nature. But I would like to consider the incarnation using human terms. How can we understand one God in three persons, not three gods, not three representations of the same person? One God existing eternally in three persons, unfathomable from a human perspective. We've never known of such a thing, such a creature, such a being, such a loving God. How can we wrap our minds around an eternal God and this type of nature? We can't. How can we wrap our minds around one person of the Trinity talking to another person of the Trinity, yet they are one God? How can we consider one person having one role and another person of the Trinity having another role, yet they are one and they do have different roles? How can we consider one person of the Trinity forsaking another person of the Trinity. But I want to consider that for just a moment this morning. First Peter 1.17 says this, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in a reverent fear 
For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but it was with precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Church, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. So here's the fascinating truth, church. From time immemorial, from eternity past, the Father and Son had this plan to save you, had this very plan to send the Son to die for you. There was no time when this plan did not exist. In his sovereign grace, in his sovereign will, this was what had to be done. The Father would always pour his wrath out on the Son. But I ask myself this question as I sit and meditate at home on this passage of Scripture and the interaction between the Father and Son. And I wonder, before this whole forsaking took place, before Jesus Christ himself left heaven and left his throne in the presence of his Father, I ask you, church, was there a goodbye? Was there a goodbye between the Father and the Son? and somehow the Holy Spirit? Were there words of encouragement before he left his heavenly throne to come down and die for you and I? Did God the Father say, don't worry, son. In the darkest hour, when you feel I have abandoned you, remember that I will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe Jesus himself heard those words and repeated them during his ministry. I don't know. Was there a goodbye? Was there a hug? Was there a spiritual embrace of some kind that we have no concept of? Was there a spiritual shedding of tears? I don't know, but it's worth thinking about. And I ask you this last question. On that day, if we can call it a day when Jesus left heaven, did heaven's angels sing that day or were they silent? knowing the awesomeness of what was about to happen, that which has always happened. Let's pray. Let's pray, church. Our Lord and our God, we thank you and we praise you for this plan that you had from eternity past. There is no time, God, when you did not love us enough to send your son. In fact, this was, this was something that was always part of you. If we could put that to words, if we could understand that, if we could fit that into our brains, this was something that was always the way you would do it. But at this time, a short time before Christmas, a short time before we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we thank you and praise you that though we can't wrap our minds around how difficult the goodbye was, even if there is one, we know that what happened on that cross was an incredibly painful experience for the Godhead. And we rejoice in your willingness to love us so much that you would go through something so epic and so eternal. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The journey. Our next little thought process here, church, is the journey.
in our relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on the cross. We talked about this a lot, church, because as you know, this comes from Philippians, the book we've been studying. But church, as Jesus departed his heavenly realm and entered into this world, what was that journey like? How could the eternal who knew no time enter into linear time? How could an eternal God suddenly be in something called time, a continuum? It, it, it messes with our brains to even try to think that, that leaving glory and the brilliance of heaven was something that our God do, but he left that brilliance of heaven for the darkness of a teenager's womb. He left the glory of heaven for the darkness of a teenage girl's womb. He who formed the universe is now himself in the process of being formed in the womb. Think about that for a minute, church. Think about that for a minute. He who formed the universe now finds himself in this young girl's womb being himself formed. Let me read Psalm 139 in light of that truth and just listen to the words of the Bible. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes, Father, saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Church, when you read that Psalm 139, realize that Jesus could have said these very words to God the Father as the eternal was being formed in the womb. The sustainer of life, Jesus Christ himself, who sustained the young girl who bore him, the sustainer of life was now being sustained by someone he would call mother. The sustainer of life who held Mary between his forefinger and thumb, he held her together atomically, the Bible tells us. That very person who he held together and could destroy with the breath of his mouth held him together in her womb and he would call her mother. The young girl whose blood sustained him would one day find salvation in the blood of the child she now carried. He who had no beginning and will have no end. Church, he who had no beginning and had no end 
if you were able to get a little picture into the womb, now that very one who is eternally existent is growing legs. He's growing arms. His heart is forming. His hair is growing. His eyes are being fashioned. He who had no beginning now begins to grow. He begins to dress himself in the flesh of sinful man. Flesh starts to be attached to this infant, to this embryo. The flesh of sinful man, though he never sinned, but now flesh starts to form. He formerly wore robes of glory and splendor, but now he is wrapped in filthy rags. Church, as the baby emerges from the womb, from the darkness of the womb into the light of the world. Church, imagine that. When a baby's born today in the operating room coming from the darkness of the womb into the light of the world, it can be almost blinding because there's so many lights, there's such brilliance. But to the Christ child who emerges from the darkness of the womb, a light, the light of day must appear to him dim because he is one accustomed to the brilliance of heaven. Even the light that he bursts into from the womb must appear dim to him who is used to the brilliance of heaven. And a final thought, he emerges as an innocent babe, the only innocent baby to truly ever be born. He emerges helpless in a world that wants nothing more than to take his life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your son. We thank you and praise you for his journey. We don't know how to describe it. We don't know how an eternal God can grow arms and legs and hair and eyes. We don't know how an eternal God could be sustained by a, by a, by a, by a virgin, by a teenage girl. But we know that it's true. We know that you did it for us. We know that you experienced humanity so that you could die for us as the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, so you had to go through these things. You had to mature as a man. You had to learn. You had to gain wisdom. You who contained all wisdom grew in wisdom. Help us understand the magnificence of the incarnation. Help us to understand the beauty of the gift. Help us, Lord, just to understand a little bit more of what you've done for us. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. The shepherds. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. I just want to talk to you a little bit about these characters we call the shepherds. Interesting chaps, these shepherds. During the time of Jesus, the shepherds were not considered worthy of respect. But what do you mean, John? Wasn't Abraham a shepherd? Wasn't David a shepherd? Weren't they worthy of respect and respect by the people? 
when you were living in the days of the patriarchs, the job of a shepherd was held in high esteem. What happened? Well, when Israel was taken captive by Egypt, the Egyptians thought shepherds were of no use. They weren't, frankly, a lot of meat eaters. They didn't use sheep too much. They didn't have sacrifices where you had to raise many lambs. So as Israel left Egypt, they took with them this concept that shepherds are just lowly people. They're not worthy. In the time of Jesus, it was considered a lowly profession, almost as low as tax collector. Almost as low as tax collector. Shepherds were known for being rough talkers, like modern day construction workers, if you will. The words that fell from their tongues were not eloquent, nor were they suitable for our children's play. They were considered unclean. They were considered very unclean by the religious leaders of the day. They smelled of animal filth and were unkempt in appearance. There was nothing, there was no beauty which you would behold if you looked at a shepherd. It was not a profession you chose, you were born into it. You had no choice. Sometimes at night, church, you know this as well as I do, the shepherds would sleep out in the fields with the sheep. And what an incredible thing that must have been. To sleep out in those fields in unpolluted skies and to look up at the heavens. Church, can you imagine the number of stars that you would see? The Milky Way galaxy the incredible impact that that might have on you. And then you would hear the villagers in the towns or villages below the fields, sometimes having celebrations, sometimes experiencing joy. And you would sit there, sleeping at night, trying to sleep in the heat of the night with the sheep, gazing up at the stars. It reminds me of Jesus and his brothers. You know Jesus had brothers and sisters. When it was warm in Israel on summer nights and the houses were made of clay-like structures, it was often too hot to sleep in the homes. So what would they do, church? They would go up to the rooftop and they would spend the night lying on the rooftop, gazing up at the stars. And I often think how fascinating it was when his brothers finally stopped thinking Jesus was a lunatic and understood that he was the son of God. I wonder if they often thought, we sat gazing at the universe with the one who created it. We sat gazing at the stars with the one who held them together. We did that. The shepherds, here's my thought, and I can't prove this, but I gotta think there was a couple shepherds who didn't just dream from little boys of being shepherds. I gotta think that maybe there were a few who would lay in those fields at night and think to themselves, I want it to be something more than what I am. But here I am. This is my lot in life. These positions are passed down from father to son, but I have to believe that some of them yearned in their heart and said, I want it so much more out of my life. Then one night, that so much more happened, church. The angels didn't appear to the Pharisees who thought they were so clean and perfect. They didn't appear to a famous rabbi who led the people of Israel, usually the wrong way. 
No, the unclean were chosen to proclaim the coming of the clean. The unclean were chosen to proclaim the coming of the holy. The lowliest of men were chosen to proclaim the coming of the greatest man of all, Jesus Christ. And you know what they did, church? It says they left their flocks and they went down to Mary to proclaim the birth of the Son of God. They left their 99 to proclaim the truth about the one true lamb. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Shepherds never leave their flock, but they had to tell Mary about the perfect lamb. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the heart of the shepherds. We thank you that you chose the lowly, You chose what people considered the unclean to proclaim the truth of the holy of holies, Jesus Christ, Savior, the incredible incarnation of the God-man. And Father, the reason our hearts leap with joy when we hear this type of story, it's because we were unclean. We are lowly. We are not worthy. And you have given us the gospel You have given us the good news to proclaim to this world. Father, let us leave the tasks that we think are so important and go tell people about the Lamb of God. Put the desire in our hearts this Christmas to tell people who the creator of the stars is, who the creator of heaven is, who the offerer of life and reconciliation is and who the Savior from hell is, Jesus Christ, our shepherd, he who became nothing to gain everything for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The angels, the angels, you have to love the angels because they are so mysterious to us. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with, the, with angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests, the angels. Let me read to you some scriptures, church, about the angels and about Christ. Colossians chapter one. The sun is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That includes the angels, church, the heavenly authorities, those things which are invisible, that they're created through him and for him. Hebrews 2. In putting under everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for just a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. 
Colossians tells us Jesus created the angels. Hebrews tells us that as he became a man, he became just a little lower than the angels. What do the angels think about that? What do the angels contemplate when they think that the very one who created us is now a little lower than us? First Peter chapter 1. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. What things? The things of salvation that were just referred to. The angels, church, are fascinated by the salvation of man. I contemplate, do they ask themselves, why does God love man so much? Why does he love them so much that he would let the Son of God who created us, be made a little bit lower than us so that he could pour out his love on them and save them? The angel saw the one created, who created them, leave his heavenly throne to enter the world of man and be a little lower than them for a while. Church, they saw him take on the form of a man. He took on the form of one who was lower. Angels are not gods. They are not omniscient. They're not omnipresent. They don't have all the answers. But church, we know they look into things pertaining to salvation because they don't have all the answers. But what do they have, church? Questions, just like you and me. Why do you love us so much that you would die for us? And if you're an angel, why does he love them so much that he would make himself a little lower than us to die for them? Oh, how he loves these humans, they must think. He becomes one of them so that he could dwell with them in his house forever. How many of the angels would have traded their places with Jesus Christ, the one they were created to serve? How many of the angels would have said, let me die for a man. Let me be beaten in your stead. Let me have the crown of thorns thrust on my head, Lord, instead of you. How many of the angels, when Jesus said he could have called legions down to defend him, were just waiting and chomping at the bit to be sent down to defend Jesus Christ from arrest in that garden? How many angels said, send me instead of him. But an angel can't die for a man. An angel can't die for anybody. It's only the God-man Jesus Christ that could die for us. And this concept is so wonderful. The incredible incarnation is so mind-blowing that even the angels long to look into these things of salvation. And I'm sure they ask themselves, does he have to do this? Is he really going to go through with this? They got their answer, I think, church, when they watch Mary change the first diaper of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Oh, how he loves them. He's going through with this. Father, we thank you for the angels. We thank you for the message that they bear. We thank you 
that they had the privilege of declaring the coming of the Christ. And we thank you once again that in this world, though we are not angelic beings, we too can proclaim Christ. And we too can wonder out loud, why does he love us so much that he became a man, lived a perfect life, suffered and died and was resurrected for us? Why, Lord, does he love us so much? Are you bearing with me? Are you with me? Can you wake up? I got two more. Then we're out of here. But let yourself think about what I'm trying to convey to you, whether I'm doing it successfully or not. The, the incredible incarnation is something we need to reflect upon, especially this time of year. Reflect upon it with your families. What does it mean that this baby was born? Well, it so happens. I want to talk about that a little bit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I want to talk about the baby Jesus for just a moment, and a little bit about Mary, though Five years ago, I had the opportunity to talk about Mary's perspective of the incarnation, and I made this horrible joke about, I wonder if she ever just told the little drummer boy to just be quiet, my kid's asleep. You know, did you? All right, forget it. All right, let's get to the baby. All right. I know that's the only gift you have, but please, the baby's asleep. All right, the baby. Imagine this. We don't even know if she was a teenager. She could have been a preteen, for all we know. Um, all the evidence apparently is not in. But she was a young girl. What a privilege. What a privilege that was announced to her. And you know, she was not perfect. In her magnificent, she admits that she's a sinner like you and I. But you got to know, she was probably the sweetest little girl to be chosen to be the vessel of the Christ. Must have been the sweetest little thing. But when the baby was born, I just imagine her holding the Christ child closely in her arms, next to her chest, letting him hear the heartbeat that he kept beating. Wow. Wow. She looked into those little eyes, church. How could a newborn baby's eyes seem so ancient? Because they were. How could they look right into her soul as if he knew her before time began? Because they did. Those eyes knew her and looked right into her soul. And church, why did those eyes just frighten her a little bit? She knew she held more than just a baby she held her savior, the savior of the world in her entire hands. I hope I don't drop the savior of the world. I hope I don't drop this beautiful little gift. She was told this boy would be a great man. She heard what every Jewish woman wanted to hear, that he would sit on the throne of David. 
But did she know that those little ears that heard his mother sing him a lullaby as she tried to get him to sleep, would one day, those little ears would one day grow up into big human ears and hear cries of crucify him, crucify him? Did she know that? Did she know those little lips that fed at her breast would one day drink from the cup of the Father's wrath? Drink the fourth cup of the Passover meal, the cup of the Father's wrath. Did she know that that precious forehead that she kissed when she laid the baby down to sleep would one day sweat blood and wear a crown of thorns? Did she know those little hands that clutched her finger would one day be nailed to a cross? Did she understand, church, that her baby would suddenly become still when he heard the bleeding of the newborn sheep in the field? Why would he become still when he heard the sounds of the lambs in the field? Because he was the Lamb of God. And he knew one day he would be the lamb of sacrifice. Father, we thank you that Jesus came. We thank you that he came as a baby. We thank you that he lived a perfect life for us. And we thank you for Mary. We don't worship her, but we know she was a significant person in the life of Jesus. There is almost no more significance in this world than the love of a mother and how that love helped you grow in wisdom in this world. We praise you. We thank you for being a baby, growing into a man, being crucified, and being resurrected. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Last one, church. Go on this journey with me. I don't even have a slide for this. The carpenter. Let's talk about. I should have put an S on the end there, the carpenters, but I didn't. Joseph was a carpenter, wasn't he? But the word implies more than one who works with wood. We know that the word implies one who works with various materials, stone, wood, clay, the word also implies that Joseph and Jesus may have been craftsmen or handymen, come to build houses, fix houses, build plow gear for the farm, but work with wood, work with stone, work with whatever they could. Jesus, we know, followed in his father's footsteps. And the Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus was a carpenter, not just the son of a carpenter. The Gospels say Jesus was a carpenter. As tradition would have it, the father taught the son a trade, just like the shepherds we just discussed. So Jesus was indeed a carpenter. Carpenter, And as we know, we don't, see G- we don't see Joseph later on in the life of Jesus. We assume that he passed away. The lifespan during that day was not incredibly long for some people. It appears that Joseph was not at the cross and Joseph is not mentioned during the ministry of Jesus. So Jesus probably started his ministry near the age of 30 because he had to take care of the family because he was the oldest son. And he probably did that by being a carpenter, a stone builder, a mason, a handyman, one who builds things and builds houses. It was considered honest work, not like a shepherd. Hard work, an honorable profession. Jesus working with wood and stone as a craftsman may have added to the confusion. Think about this. 
When Jesus said, if this temple is torn down, in, if this temple is torn down I can build it back up in three days? Well, of course. You work with stone, you work with wood, you're a carpenter, you build things. Did that add to the confusion to his comment? I don't know. But there was another carpenter I want to talk to. We have Joseph and we have Jesus. But Jesus had another father who did some of his finest work with wood. No one knows, church, exactly what type of wood the cross was made of. It could have been olive, cedar, or pine. No one really knows. As they get samples from that period of time, it can be made of any of those types of wood. As long as they were strong and solid, they used whatever was cheapest and economical. They tried to shy away from olive trees because you ate, olive, you ate olives. You produced olive oil. Why cop down trees that are producing food for the people to eat? So we don't know. No one knows exactly what the wood was made of. What we can be sure of in the sovereignty of Christ and the sovereignty of God and the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit and the sovereignty of the Trinity we can be sure that God the Father planted a tree somewhere near Jerusalem. He watered that tree. He gave it plenty of sun. He tended it for many, many years. Grow strong, little tree, for I have a great purpose for you. When it was time for his son to be crucified, God caused this tree to be cut down and he caused its wood to be hewn into a crossbeam strong enough to support the weight of his beloved son. God caused the Roman executioner to select this particular beam to be placed on the back of God's only son. And the father watched as his son carried that piece of wood up that hill. And he listened. He listened as the nails were driven into his son's wrists and into the wood that had been prepared before the foundation of the earth. I'm going to turn my back on you now. Little tree, hold my son tightly for me. Let him feel me in you. Now, that would be a sad place to end, church, talking about the carpenters. But I'm not going to end there. Because during this season, during this time when we remember the incredible incarnation, we have to remember that Jesus died so that we might live. As we remember the master carpenter and the wood that he prepared in eternity past, we have to remember this, there's a future hope. There's a future hope because the carpenter's not done, is he? He's not done. John 14, 14 says this. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. I will be your carpenter, building a place for you in my Father's house. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and you know the way. But Thomas said to him, 
Lord, we don't know where you are going. And how can we possibly know the way? Jesus said to Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we thank you and praise you for the incredibleness of your incarnation. We look forward to what you, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, with all of your skills as the greatest carpenters in the world, are preparing for those who put their faith in you to enter into that house and to see the beauty and splendor of everything that awaits us and to know that it's not wood, it's not stone, it's not marble, it's not silver, it's not gold that our eyes will gaze upon and say amen. It is the love that we will feel seeing you face to face and knowing in a way that we can't know now the inexpressible joy of knowing why you loved us so much, we who were unworthy. And we will rejoice in that love and we will let that love just rest upon us, Lord, knowing we didn't deserve it, but it was given freely. We thank you and we praise you and we remember the incredible incarnation this Christmas. Amen. Here's my blessing to you, church. As you leave here today, whether you go to Sunday school or come back for the play or go home, I want you to remember what has been done for you from eternity past. And I want you to find joy in that. I want you to put every encumbrance aside and say, why did he love me so much? that he sent his only begotten son to die for me and just rest in that and tell somebody about his love so that they will sit at his table with you and I one day. Go in peace and enjoy your Christmas. In Jesus' precious name, amen.